Find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 12. You'll find that on page 1764 in that book rack Bible in front of you. If you don't know where to find Romans, maybe someone next to you will help you find it. Go to the table of contents. It's okay. Just find your way to Romans chapter 12. We've been learning about the importance of sharing honor. In this series we call the Honor Challenge, six weeks of looking at different ways that we're to honor. The first week we looked at honoring our parents, and specifically we talked about moms, and next week we finished the series by talking about dads. Pastor Danny will be bringing that message. We've looked at honoring the son as we honor the father. We've looked at what the Word of God has to say about honoring authority in our lives, Last week, looked at the beautiful picture of honoring elders, not just the spiritual leaders in our church, but also those who are in seasons of life that are beyond and further down the road than us, that we're to give honor to them. And today we come to a very central and, and very simple command that we find in Scripture on this idea of honoring, and it's rather encompassing. It, it really covers everybody, anyone that we've left out along the way, and it's found right here in Romans 12, verse 10b. We're going to focus in on just one half of one verse today for the entire message. Now, we will be looking at other passages of Scripture. Sometimes our exegesis takes us through a whole book, sometimes through a whole chapter, sometimes through a flow of, of a paragraph or several verses. Today, we're going to just camp out in one half of one verse, and we're going to learn it all together, and hopefully, more importantly, we'll understand what it means as we head out of here in just a little while and that's right here in verse, 12, verse 10 of chapter 12. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to say it a couple of times just so we get it. It says, honor one another above yourselves. Say that with me. Honor one another above yourselves. Say it again. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, if you know the book of Romans in the context of this passage, it would be good to be reminded that all the way up to Romans 12, we have thick deep doctrine going on. The Apostle Paul is writing on some very, very powerful, serious doctrine. There's not one shred of application in the first 11 chapters of this book. But when we come to chapter 12, we hear this, see this big word in verse 1 that says, therefore. And the therefore is therefore us to realize that a change has happened. We move from the doctrine, what we believe, and the importance of our beliefs and the core of our beliefs into how it changes and transforms our lives. And so often, some of us live in the cerebral, we live in the Christian world sometimes that is more interested in just knowing stuff and doctrine and beliefs, and we never see how that translates down into everyday life. And the Bible is very practical. In fact, let me be very clear, all doctrine is practical. Uh, doctrine was never meant to be intellectualized or just put in our cerebral brains Doctrine was always meant to be applied, and here in Romans 12 is where the application begins. And it begins by talking about just giving your life, just consecrating your life in view of God's mercy, in view of all these beliefs. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is really where the, the focus gets going. There's a personal transformation. Then there's a ministry transformation that happens. We're to use our spiritual gifts in building up the body of Christ. And then we come to this section on social behavior or social relationships. And it starts right there in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 
And then almost parenthetically, honor one another above yourselves. So this is nestled into this beautiful construct of life transformation, a personal life transformation, a church transformation, and relationships being transformed by the power of love and the power of honoring others above ourselves. And this is what we're called to do. Now, to do that, there's some practical things that we need to understand. And I'm going to challenge you today with three things that I believe this one half of one verse is telling us, and I'll do my best to explain why I believe these things as we exegete this simple little passage. And by the way, simple doesn't mean easy, amen? Amen. (laughs) I mean, how many things that we know are very simple, but when it comes down to really living it, I'm suggesting to you today that what we're looking at would transform a family, would transform your relationships at work, in your neighborhood. It would transform this church And I think we do a pretty good job in a lot of ways, but when it comes to loving each other and honoring each other above ourselves, oh my goodness, we never, that train never arrives in this life. We continue to work at it under the grace of God, the power of God in our lives, and it's his enabling grace that makes it all possible. So three things we're going to need if we're going to apply this to our lives. If you're taking notes, the first one is simple. I just say we need to be warned. Say that with me. We need to be warned. Now I'm going to take this from just two little words in that section where it says above yourselves. Because see, right now we got a problem. As soon as you read that word, you got to stop and examine yourself and say, how often does this happen in my life? Where am I putting others in front of me? This is not talking about honoring those uh, who, who are worthy of honor or necessarily people that we deserve, that we feel deserves honor. We're not talking about preferences, likes or dislikes, or how we feel about others. What we're talking about is a simple command force that Paul uses where he says, your social relationships will be transformed when you learn to devote yourself to loving each other and honoring others, one another, more or above yourself. Our natural default is to have honor come our way. We just, we're just wired that way. We would rather be honored than to give honor. In fact, we would rather appear honorable than to live honorably. This is our default. We like to cheat. We like to go around the issues. And the reason is simple. I mean, and by the way, let's just stop right here and remember that all of this is impossible without the transformation of Christ in our lives. I mean, there's no way that we can even attempt this kind of life without really being anchored in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because until he enables us to see that we need to be done with ourselves, can we begin to see others as above ourselves? Does that make sense? We've got to be done with ourselves. That's why Jesus said, if you come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't invite us into a life of, of uh, servitude from others to us. He invites us into a life of servitude toward others, a life of denying ourselves. And so this is why I say be warned, because this is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Now, if we don't take this warning seriously, we're likely to end up looking honorable at times, but not in a way that God really rewards. 
and I'd like you to jot that down. And I want you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew 6 really quickly. In fact, actually, I'm going to stop you there. Don't go, don't go there. We'll put it on the screen uh, just to save a little time because we're going to be in lots of places this morning. Matthew 6, 1, we've looked at this just recently in the past, but Jesus said to his disciples, he said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Remember we talked about those three acts of righteousness, you know, praying, fasting, and giving to the poor. Be careful not to do those things, Jesus said, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have, what does he say? No reward from your Father in heaven. So if it is that you're looking for, you know, plaudits and applause and kudos and and yay and all that, if that's what you're really looking for, if that's what's motivating you, Jesus said, well, if you do those things to be noticed, well, you'll get that maybe from people, but you won't necessarily receive that from God. Because God sees our hearts. He knows the motivations that cause us to do things for people. Sometimes we might even appear to be doing honorable things, but our motives are messed up. Our motives are we want to be recognized or we've got a little hidden agenda with somebody or, you know, this is the way our human nature is. And God sees all that. So he says, be very careful about the good that you do to be noticed by others because if that's your motivation, the reward from the Father won't be coming. So that's the first little part of this warning. But the second The reason I'm telling you to be warned is that if we don't take this seriously, we're likely to experience some kind of, and I said terrible humiliation. It might not even be terrible but significant. It might just be humiliation. And actually, I don't even know what kind of humiliation that isn't terrible. (laughs) You know, because if you're humiliated, who who likes to get humiliated? Anybody? I mean, it's never something like, yes, oh, that was so humiliating. I love that. we We don't do that. It just doesn't feel comfortable to us. Um, let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 20 quickly. Luke 20 in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 20. Jesus starts off with a direct admonition given by him concerning the religious experts of the day. And he says this, beginning in verse 46. He says, beware of the teachers of the law. They love to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men are to be punished. Such men will be punished most severely. Well, if you study the Bible, you say, wow, you know, obviously this is a warning to people that are religious. And it's a warning to people who actually would consider themselves followers of God. But then when he finishes this, he says, such men will be punished most severely. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where believers are punished at the judgment. So this has to be a picture of a false religious person. In other words, a person who has put all the eggs in the basket of religiosity, but they've never entered into that relationship with God. And there's a lot of folks that in those positions of of religion become very uh, full of thinking that it's all around them and it's all about them. And so they, they love to wear clothes that make them look like they're religious. They love to be greeted, Jesus said. They love to take important seats in the synagogue. There were places where the teachers would sit. They love to be close to those teachers and sometimes being those teachers. They love uh, to be uh, in places of honor at banquets. Here you sit here. And the reality is, there are some of us who sort of clamor for those kinds of things too. 
Now, I'm not saying that if that's the case in your life or if that's been the case in your life does, doesn't mean that you're not a believer. Or it, it doesn't mean that you're, you're a false believer because our default, I said a minute ago, is always sort of like toward the center of our universe, you know, what we really want. But, but if we pan back a little bit, the, the macro of all this is that this is really the heart of an unbeliever and this is what God wants to overturn when we come to faith in Jesus. And aren't you glad that Jesus, by his grace, has caused us to see the change needed in our lives that we no longer need to be about, I want the best seat, I want the closest parking spot, I want it to be around me, I'm the dignified one, I get all the applause. And we kind of step away from that and we realize, back to what Paul said in Romans 12, that we should honor one another above ourselves. One day a terrible humiliation comes upon those who live for their own glory. And it will happen at judgment. But sometimes it happens before then too. Uh, I'm thinking of the biblical account of the story of uh, Esther. And when I say the name Haman, does that name ring a bell to anybody? Oh man, we did a series on this a few years ago. It would be worth maybe going back in our archives and looking at it. But Went through the whole book of Esther. Beautiful story. Here, here's one of the main characters in Esther. His name is Haman, and he's elevated to the top man under King Xerxes, who is, who is the king of the kingdom of Persia. And, and he has this right-hand man, and he's elevated. His name is Haman. And, and he wants everyone, uh, he sends a decree out that when Haman comes by, everybody's to bow uh, and everywhere Haman went, people bowed their knee and they, they paid him great homage. But his character wasn't good. And sometimes we recognize, we've said in this series, we need to give honor to those whom honor is due. Sometimes we realize that character is foul or that it's, you know, the person is a little out of whack, but we honor the position. Well, these people were honoring, but he comes by this one guy and his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai's displaced from Jerusalem. He's still living in the, in the Persian kingdom. This is, um, this is during the time where the Jews had been displaced, many of them. And so there, there's Mordecai. And Mo- Mordecai doesn't bow his knee. And, and Haman is incensed. And when Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, his hatred turns from just him as a man who won't bow his knee to the whole Jewish people. And he concocts a plan to annihilate the Jews. And he's working it out with the king. And the king doesn't really know what's going on, doesn't know the backstory of all this. But the king is kind of moving along. And one night, providentially, this is so amazing how God does this. One night, King Xerxes is having a hard time sleeping. So he asks for his advisors to bring in the chronicles of his kingdom. And he's, he's sort of reading through sort of the annals of what his kingdom has done. And probably a little bit of a you know, self-pump-up kind of moment, you know. And he's reading about things that he's accomplished and what the kingdom has done and suddenly he comes across an account that had happened previously where there was an assassination attempt that was underway and it was foiled by a man in the kingdom who happened to be named Mordecai. And so he says, he pulls his advisors together, hey, I don't remember we doing anything for this guy. What did we ever do? And they said, uh, King, excuse me, actually, we never did anything for him. Oh my goodness, he thought this really bothered the king. He saved my life and we never honored him. So he pulls Haman into his court. And Haman walks in and he says, I've got a really important question for you. Sit down. He says, he says what should the king do for the one he wants to honor the most in his kingdom? And Haman thinks, he's talking about me. 
So think about this. This is like the dream come true. You get to write your ticket for how everybody gets to honor you. So Haman thinks about it for a minute. Okay, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, put him on a beautiful horse, walk him through the city with a jester in front saying, this is what the king does to the one he wants to honor. And the king goes, that's a great idea. Okay, quick, go get Mordecai, get the robe, put all this on. <laughs> and Haman, I can just imagine Haman just buckling. Whoa, 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 Mordecai, what? God has this beautiful providential way of turning around in an ironic twist. And of course, the bigger understory in that story is that Esther also is a Jew and Esther has to bravely go to the king and explain what's going on. And when that finally comes around, it is pinpointed on Haman that he was the one behind the plot to annihilate the Jews that would have included Esther. And so the king says, all right, let's get Haman. Let's put him on the gallows that he was making for Mordecai, you know. It's like, what a story that is. You talk about a twist of irony. When, and in a way, I, we see the beautiful story of the gospel where we all deserve death and damnation. God does this beautiful thing where he turns the judgment around. The judgment lands upon his own son that he loves, Jesus, who pays the penalty for our sins so that you and I could be honored forever in the kingdom of glory with Jesus, our co reigning as co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8 says. It's a beautiful story. This is God's providential care of his people. So we don't want to be humiliated, and so we need to be warned. And the warning comes in the, in the, in the form of realizing that if we do it for people, we're not going to get the reward we were looking for. And if we don't do, take this seriously, there's going to be some humiliation that's going to come. So we need to, what, be warned. Secondly, if this is going to happen, if we're going to honor one another above ourselves, we need to not just be warned, but we need to be willing. Say that with me. We need to be willing. You know, being warned keeps us from the wrong things, but we also need to be willing to pursue the right things. And here, Paul in Romans 12 is challenging us to be willing in our response to live in true humility and seeing others as more important than ourselves. Now the most beautiful companion passage to Romans 12 falls in Philippians chapter two. I think most of us are familiar with it. If you're quick, you wanna turn there. Uh, Philippians chapter two, because we're gonna camp out there for just a couple of minutes. In Philippians two, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians two. In verse three, we read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's right in line, step by step, with what Paul's saying to the Romans. And he just says it a little differently in Romans. He says, he says we should honor one another above ourselves. This text is simply pointing out that what is needed for this kind of response in our lives is true humility. Humility is the game changer when it comes to honoring others above ourselves. It doesn't happen apart from humility. If you're taking notes, I want us to stay in Philippians chapter two, but I want to show you that Jesus shows us how this takes place, how it's done. If you drop down to verse five, as we continue, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Oh, okay, what is... 
What does Jesus inform us of? What does his life inform us of? Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus shows us how this is to be done. Jesus models this for us. When Jesus, our Savior, who is the King of glory, the King of the universe, came to this earth in the form of a man, he humbled himself. He took on the form of a man, took on flesh, and then actually became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus shows us how this is done. Let's read out loud together Proverbs 1533, it's also found in 1812. Let's read it out loud. Here it goes. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. Did you see that? What comes before honor? Humility. I said a minute ago, this doesn't happen without humility. We, we really need a God-entranced humility. And that's why Paul lifts Jesus as our example of this because he models this kind of humility for us. But not only does Jesus show us with his life, he also tells us how this is done. He tells us how this is done. And if you'll take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke again, please. Luke chapter, we're gonna be in chapter 14 now. There's this account where Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house to have a meal, hang out a little bit. And... Uh, and it's a prominent Pharisee, someone that probably kind of liked the kudos and applause of, of people. And Jesus, as he sits there, notices some things. And let's just pick it up in verse 7. He noticed how the guests packed the places, excuse me, picked the places of honor at the table. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may, uh, may have been invited. If so... The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I, I kind of like as I look at that, I, how many would rather be humble and then be exalted rather than be exalted and then humbled. How many, how many would like that? I would like that arrangement better too. And Jesus observed this. He sees this in people and he sees this in our lives too. The reality is we all kind of like to go for that special spot. You know, if you've got little kids and they're growing up and they're out of their car seats when you go for a drive, what do they do? They all run, yell, shotgun, you know, they all run. Everybody tries to get in the front seat, you know. And, and so get in the back seat. Why not let somebody else take the front seat? Uh, just humble yourself. Let somebody else have the place because you might actually think that you're, you should be in the front seat and you really shouldn't. I had a funny experience last weekend. I was, I was away uh, and uh, I decided to visit a little church out of this area um, and it's affiliated with the Christian Missionary Alliance so I, and I know the pastor. I don't know him really personally but I know him. We've been to some conferences together but I, I didn't know if he'd really know me but I wanted to go and just worship. I just wanted to 
Go sit before the Lord. And that's kind of a fun thing. I like when I'm away from you, away from us. I like visiting other churches. I like not having leadership mantle responsibility. I just love to go and worship and have just kind of a focused mind. And by the way, I do that here too. I do that at 613. Um, that's a beautiful service for me to just kind of go and sit under teaching and worship and, and be a worshiper. Anyway, so, so I go to this service and, uh, and I walk in. It's a smaller church and I meet the pastor at the door. So I'm thinking, okay, he's either going to recognize. I just want to slip in under the radar. But I was right there. And so he shakes my hand and greets me but doesn't say my name. So I realize, okay, he doesn't know me. Good. Okay, so I go in. And I'm sitting about three quarters of the way back and people are kind of coming in. A very friendly church. People reaching out. Somebody recognized I was a guest and you know, uh, asked me my name and, and then during the little meet and greet like we have, probably two or three families came up to me and just kind of welcomed and extended, you know, a welcome and greet. Very nice. Uh, the sermon was, the worship was beautiful. The sermon was great. It was about the woman at the well, Samaritan woman. Really spoke to my heart on a number of levels. He, he finished, the pastor finished the service with this beautiful little chorus of bring them in, bring them in. Uh, bring those wanderers to Jesus. Beautiful little chorus. I'd never heard it, but we sung it. It was beautiful. The whole thing, it was just great. And I was thanking the Lord for that. And then when we finished the song, he said, we, we have a, an honored guest with us today, a pastor visiting from out of the area. <laughs> and he's looking right at me. And he says, we're going we're gonna to have our brother uh, close our time off in prayer. And, uh, and, he's, and he's just looking right at me. And I'm thinking... I didn't think, like, how did he know? Like, what? And I'm just, so I'm going, okay. So I'm just getting ready to stand up, and the guy in front of me stands up. <laughs> I am so glad. I'm so glad that that guy delayed his response for a second. Because, man, we were, like, what if, I thought, what if we both stood? You know, like, who are you? Well, who are you, you know? <laughs> Will the real pastor please stand up? It was just funny. So I, you know, I, I told our leadership team about it. It was just, it was just a comical thing. And thankfully, it was a, I just, but I thought, you know, sometimes that's the way, sometimes we think people are talking about us. And they're not. Sometimes, and, and thankfully, you know, I mean, the, the, that's just a silly little illustration, but it, it sort of reminded me as I drove away from there, I was thinking, boy, sometimes that's, that's true about all of our lives. We just kind of assume a little more than we should. So, so we, need, we need to be willing, we need to be willing to do this. Jesus shows us and Jesus tells us which brings us to the last thing, and that is that we need to be wise. We need to be warned, we need to be willing, and we need to be wise. And our time is almost up here. So we'll, we'll walk through this quickly. We need to know what it means to honor one another. And, uh, and the, word, the word honor throughout the New Testament, primarily, there are other words, but this word honor that we're looking at today, primarily it's the Greek word tamao, not tomato. It's tamao. And it means two things, basically, if you're taking notes. Number one, it means to take notice. It means to see. It means to recognize. It means to acknowledge. This is where honoring begins. And that's why it's funny that Jesus 
said at one point, he says at a couple points in the Gospels, John 4, 44, Matthew 13, 57, Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. What Jesus was saying is um, familiarity breeds contempt. You've ever heard that statement? We just get used to each other. So we don't, here's what happens. We get house blind to good things. We come into church here every week. We probably go through the same doors. We park in the same place in the parking lot. We see the same people. We see the same people doing their stuff. And, and we just, the first day, maybe it was like, wow, I see that. Wow, I acknowledge that. Now we're just used to coming in. We come in the same door. We sit in the same places, I've noticed, <laughs> as I look out in the crowd today. We stand in the same places. We, we are familiar. And when we're familiar, we tend to get house blind. We just don't see like we should see. So we need to break that up a little bit. Good to sit in other places Good to come through different doors. Good to ask yourself, who is it today that I can recognize is a part of doing something in this ministry? And by the way, more importantly, that should happen all the other six days of our week. At home, if you're a kid living with your parents, have you take notice of the things your parents do for you on a regular basis? That's a great place for honor to begin. Just recognize it. Wow, you made my lunch. Ha! <laughs> Honey, I thought this just like happened, like <laughs> if you make it lunch for your kids. I'm just saying, you know, they take you places, they do things, they shell out money for you. Do you just recognize that? Do you ever see that? Do you do that with your spouse? You know, the things that your spouse does to care for you, do you recognize that? Do you point it out? Wow, I noticed that, wow, the house was just extra clean today or or. or you know, if you're a wife saying that to your husband, you know, um, you know, you should be involved. All areas of domestic duties, we should share those things. Do you, do you point that stuff out to your spouse? I noticed, I noticed, I noticed. Recognition is what temao means. But if you're house blind, you never see it. You just take it for granted. But here's another, the second thing that, that temao means. It not only means to recognize, but it means to show gratitude it means to bless, thank, give, extol, notice, and reward. It's a one-two punch. We recognize, we reward. We see, we bless. We experience, we thank. And this, this comes out to us, If one last little place here. How are we doing? Ooh, we gotta quit. Thank you, okay. How about another hour? Thank you. Um, no, this is good. We'll do this quick. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And this is, this is a story. This is an account of Epaphroditus. Hold on. I can't do two things at once. i got to think. Where are we? Okay, here we are. In Philippians 2, Paul is going to point out this very thing. He's going to point out and he's going to show gratefulness. Watch this. About Epaphroditus. Verse 25. Philippians 2. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus... I think about that poor guy in kindergarten. Can you imagine writing that name out, Epaphroditus? Anyway, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the, in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to take up or to make up for the help that you could not give to me. And by the way, he's not, he's not rebuking the Philippians. He's just extolling this beautiful uh, person of, of Epaphroditus. He notices, he blesses. So ask yourself this week, how often does that happen in your life? How often do you notice? How often do you bless? So this is our little assignment this week and some of the things you'll talk about in your small groups is who are we noticing and who are we blessing? That should be sort of a, wouldn't it be great if every day we got out of bed and we said to ourselves, honor one another more important than myself. Honor one another more important than myself. We just kind of go through our day with that thought in mind. And here's what will happen is you show wisdom when you do this because number one, you know what it means. And number two, you know what comes from it. You know the benefits. Here are the benefits. Number one, it builds unity. That's what happens. When we show honor to each other, we build up the body of Christ. Number two, it prompts celebration. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it, the body of Christ. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. should be a spirit of celebration in our midst and at times a spirit of great solemnity because we suffer with those who suffer and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's the way we show honor. We show honor when we come alongside of wherever a person is, in sorrow or in joy. Number three, it expands our outreach. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples when you love each other, John 13, 35. One gal stopped me in the parking lot this week. She just pulled her car over, jumped out, and she said, I'm so glad I saw you. I'm praying for my neighbor, and I want you to pray for me. And she explained that her neighbor is the mother of the little 18-year-old girl who was on the train tracks with her headphones in this last week. You talk about pain. You talk about suffering. And this dear woman is entering into that world, into that suffering. And she said, I just need prayer right now. And we prayed for her. And I invite you to pray for her. What a terrible tragedy. Oh, what a terrible, terrible thing to happen. And we don't understand how any of this could possibly be in the will of God, but we just fall on God's sovereignty and we just cry out. We, we weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. And this expands the outreach of God's church and it paves the way for needs to be met. Lastly, it paves the way for needs to be met. Acts 4.32, all the way through the book of Acts, God's people sharing their resources in order to preserve the community of faith as a picture of honoring one another. And do you realize, if you study church history, that by the third century A.D., this is, a, this is mind-boggling to me, by the third century A.D., Christendom had actually penetrated and had great influence over the entire Roman world. Wow. Now, that certainly wasn't the whole world, Still big parts of the world that were not reached. But the entire Roman world had been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? By the starting infusion of the spirit of the living God over the 12 and over the 120 and over the church that was born at Pentecost and the people kept coming and the gifts kept being shared and resources were shared and people rejoiced with those who rejoiced and wept with those that wept and there was an honoring of each other and it was all because of what Jesus had done. And don't you think that our culture could use the same? 
And don't you think that would change and radically transform even our great church? Well, let's ask the Lord for that right now. Let's pray. Lord, oh Lord, I'm so amazed, Lord, that you call us weak, selfish at times, carnal at times, human beings into your glad and glorious work. And you do it not because of the potential you see in us. You do it only to manifest and declare your glory as one who can take wretched sinners like us and transform our lives to be people that reflect in some small way that we serve a glorious, magnificent, supreme God who has loved us this way by sending his son Jesus to be the sin payment for our lives. And Lord, today, if you brought someone to this service that has really, in their own heart of hearts, realized that their life has been about themselves, but they could be free from that life and truly free to live a life so separated, a life that is given toward others, a life that is set apart for the work of God. Burn it in our lives, Lord. Some of us are young and we hear this and we know that you're calling us to serve you with a full abandon. Some of us are older in years. Some of us are at the twilight years of our lives. And Lord, yet you still call out, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So Lord, help us to hear that call even now. May we just be quick and responsive. Be warned, be willing, and be wise. And we'll thank you, Lord. This morning, if the Lord brought you, just whisper to his own, whisper to him right here in your own prayer. Maybe you need to whisper that, Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness and I need to follow you. That's your prayer. Some of us as Christ followers, we've let bitterness and anger, we've let our little way creep in and we've, we've held off this desire for the Spirit to make less of us and more of him. And so ask the Holy Spirit, Ask him to make less of you and more of him. So Lord, hear our prayer. And as we worship in these final few minutes, Lord, let this marinate. Let us hear the words of this song. It's a new song. Let us sing it as best we can. But more than that, take the words in and give them back to you. Would you stand with me quietly, everybody? Let's worship the Lord.